Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Dr. Kate Lund, and we're talking about how to help teenagers build more resilience. It's really hard to have too much resilience as a teenager, but it seems like a trait that is harder and harder to teach these days. How do you build determination in a world of instant gratification? Well, Dr. Lund is the author of the book Bounce, help your child build resilience and thrive in school, sports, and life. She's a psychologist and performance coach with more than 15 years experience, and she uses a strengths-based approach in working with students, athletes, and teams to improve their mental game in sports, school, and life while helping them to reach their full potential. We're going to break down the seven pillars of resilience and we're going to show you how to develop them in your teenager. Dr. Lund, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You have a really powerful story at the beginning of this book called Bounce, Help Your Child Build Resilience and Thrive in School, Sports, and Life. And you talk in the beginning of the book about what got you interested in this topic and their struggles going through your childhood. Can you talk a little about why you have a unique perspective on this topic? Sure, absolutely. And thank you for having me, Andy. I really appreciate it. Um, appreciate being here. But yeah, I, I wrote Bounce, um, which is a book looking at how we help our kids as parents build resilience and thrive across domains of their lives. And for me, the topic really has been a lifelong interest, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I grew up with a pretty significant medical condition called hydrocephalus, yeah. diagnosed when I was four. And that is a condition which is manageable with something called a shunt which is surgically implanted and it circulates the cerebral spinal fluid for one when it can't circulate themselves. That's sort of the, the foundation of hydrocephalus. And so wow. I was in and out of the hospital a lot. I missed a lot of school. I had to come back to school looking quite different than my peers, strange haircuts as a result of the surgeries and such. And so I learned early what it was like to be different, to kind of be on the outside. And I had to find ways to kind of figure out, okay, what could I do? And how could I focus on those things to help me move through and beyond the challenges? And it was certainly a tough early lesson, a tough struggle that kind of lasted throughout my childhood, really. But I was lucky I had support from my family, from my teachers, from yeah. friends, parents of friends. So I was very, very fortunate despite the challenges, but definitely was a very, very formative experience for me in terms of how my life and career have developed. We may not all be dealing with something like that, but we all deal with a lot, especially during a, the teenage years. 
And you point out so many, I think, really practical examples in the book of just situations that teenagers are going through and how important resilience is and how we can sort of help. And I love you kind of break it down into these seven pillars or seven sort of steps. I'm curious where these came from or how you came up with these. And I love the framework that you're presenting here. Right. Absolutely. And so the the seven pillars of resilience, as I sort of describe them in the book, really have come from my 20 plus years as a clinical psychologist, working with a myriad of kids and families and people actually across the lifespan, actually, because the book Balance is written for parents in terms of building resilience in their kids. But the principles outlined in the book apply to all of us across the lifespan, really. Yeah. So, you know, this idea of tolerating frustration and managing emotion, managing our stress response, is something that I've seen regardless of the challenge time and time again in my work as a clinical psychologist. So these pillars all sort of came out of my work over time as some of the central themes that folks are struggling with. What can we do to help folks navigate, move through and beyond challenge in the best possible way and help them to maximize their potential within their own unique context? That's sort of how the pillars came about. You also have an example in the book that I really loved from when you were just getting ready to head off to college and your mom really pushed you to take up golf and just sort of get out of the house and go. I guess you've been really recovering from a procedure and we're kind of ready to get going, but sort of hesitating to take that next step. And so I thought that was a great story and a great example, but just how we can inspire teenagers with just some really simple gestures because it wasn't that much that she really did to kind of push you. Right. That was a really challenging time for me. I went through high school, things were good with my health. And then right at the end of high school, I had a major medical setback and ended up in the hospital much of that summer. And what ended up happening was I had to defer college for a year while I was actually home recovering. It was a pretty massive setback that happened from time to time. That was actually the biggest one. And deferred college for a year really was lucky in the way that I was able to recover and bounce back from that. But emotionally, it was kind of tough by the end of that spring, kind of right before the summer. I was sort of trying to get back out there, but really was hesitating, as you mentioned, because things had been so tough. And so my mom really, I think, just knew what I needed. And that was to get back out there. So she gave me that little push like, hey, take the car, go to the golf course, the local golf course and check out golf, see if you like it. And it was really cool. I connected with some folks at the golf course. I ended up Mm. loving golf and I'm an avid golfer today. And my husband is as well. And my boys are also. And so that might've been the pivotal moment where golf became a big piece of my life. But in that Uh. moment, it was just really important to kind of move out there, move back out into the world in a way that helps me to experience and believe that it was possible to be back out there, that I was going to get back on my feet and Mm. that that possibility existed. And sometimes parents, yeah, just need to give that little extra push like, hey, just give it a try. Maybe it will work out. You can always take another angle, but give it a try. Yeah. And believing just that they can do it is, I think, so 
powerful and helpful as kids. Just knowing that our parents are confident in us helps us just take that on for ourselves as well. I think sometimes. Exactly. Sort of this idea of watching and noticing our parents believing in us as kids is so, so important. You talk in the book about aptitude, and I thought that was really an interesting point to make, I think, because as you point out, aptitude is another important variable that drives potential and pushing children too hard in an area where they don't show a fundamental aptitude or love of what they're doing is unlikely to lead them in the direction of their true potential. As parents, it's like, well, we think you're doing this thing, or this is just what everyone in the family does, or this is whatever it is for some reason, or you started this thing and you got to finish it. And we feel like a lot of times resilience is about kind of pushing through things. But also I think weighing that with, as you point out, things that you have a natural aptitude for and, and the love of is really important. So I wonder how how do we balance those things or find that you know, where the line is between those? Yeah, yeah. And that's a great point that you pull out. And it's so important because there's that tendency to want to push our kids in the direction that they've started going in, even if they find that direction is not for them by virtue of finishing what they start. And sometimes that's the right way to go, but oftentimes it's not. And particularly as our kids are getting older and sort of really starting to understand themselves and what they need, it's important for us as parents to kind of watch that process unfold and pick up on the cues and mm -hmm. if and when necessary, sort of redirect and reposition, but also encourage the exploration of various angles, various involvements, various things that might turn out to be passions, because really fostering that idea of passion is important, because that's when a kid is involved in something they're truly passionate about. And plus, there's an aptitude to go yeah. along with that. That's when the true magic is going to happen. That's when we're going to really move towards our potential and we're going to thrive. I love that. You have all these really illustrative examples throughout the book from real situations that kids might find themselves in, in school or in sports or just in their daily lives or with friends. And we get to kind of see how they play out for in kind of different little sample situations with kids throughout the book that really illustrate the concepts, I think, in a cool way. And you talk about this first pillar here, which is about kind of really dealing with emotions and especially frustration, dealing with tolerating emotions like frustration. And there's one example about this 12-year-old tennis player who's been playing in tournaments for a long time and is really well nationally ranked and lately has been really having trouble kind of during matches. She's losing games that she knows she was capable of winning and having trouble keeping her composure and getting really more and more frustrated and that's affecting her confidence. And I thought that it was really a great example, but also seeing how frustration and the ability to deal with frustration plays out in so many aspects of life for teenagers. And I wonder what you recommend that we could do as parents to sort of scaffold that or to help kids with this first pillar to build those skills, to be able to deal with that and cope with those emotions. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's such a real phenomenon and a great question. And so this idea of tolerating frustration and managing emotion is so, so important because as you say, when that's not happening, everything's affected, right? And so the big idea is that we want to help our kids from an early age, but particularly stressing this during the teenage years, but hopefully they've already kind of built the foundation prior to that of managing their stress response, sort of picking up the tools, the strategies because the thing is, when we're managing our stress response, we're sort of at an even keel, right? So that then a challenge will emerge and we're kind of able to go with it, kind of ride it yeah. like a wave. But if we're not managing our stress response on a consistent basis and mm -hmm. we're, say, up here at baseline, oh, a stressor no. hits, boom, we're going to just escalate. You know, Things yeah. are going to intensify to a point where shutdown yeah. is likely. It's much harder to navigate through and be beyond a challenge when our emotions, our sort of state, our baseline state is not kind of well-managed. So it's a question of helping kids to develop some sort of a practice for managing that stress response consistently, whether that's through mm -hmm. a mindful breathing technique that they practice every day, if it's perhaps through one of these apps that's out there like Headspace or something along those lines that just helps them to calm their mind, calm their nervous system on a consistent basis. It's so, so important. It could be also through sports or through painting or drawing, depending again on where their interest lies, where their aptitude is. And I will tell you that I have 15-year-old twins. And so I'm seeing this sort of adolescent thing play out in real time here okay. in our house. And for one of the boys who is kind of a bit more anxious than his brother wow. sort of naturally at baseline, headspace has been tremendously helpful for him. He does it every night before bed and really has had a calming mm. effect on him. And okay. he notices when he doesn't do it. So really important to help our kids, help mm. our teenagers to get into a habit, to make these practices a routine, to really integrate them into their sense of themselves so that it just kind of is, you know, it's a part of them. And then their stress response is more consistently managed. I like that and just understanding that there's differences in what different kids might need in terms of that and also that different things might work better for different kids than work for others. And so being open to that and sort of experimenting, knowing that what works for one kid might not work for another and being willing to explore a different possible solutions with your children, I think is also really a helpful thing that you can give as parents. Yes, absolutely. That idea of sort of, yeah, sort of collaborating with your kids, sort of joining with mm. them in sort of trying to help them understand what works best for them and you understanding as a parent what works best for them because the idea yeah. is really moving towards potential as the big goal. And so that which works best will help them move in that direction. Yeah. Another big portion of the book is related to focus. 
and being able to sustain attention on something. It's a key to a lot of things in life. There's so many things today that are competing for our attention that sometimes it feels like it's so hard to find time to give attention to things. You mentioned it. So the third pillar, I just think this is something that is only going to get more and more challenging for humans in general as time goes on. Yes. And I wonder what you think we need to do to equip our children to have those skills to be able to direct their focus and attention um, in the right ways. Yeah, yeah. It's such an important skill, as you mentioned. And one of the cornerstones of that is to help our kids to set attainable sort of manageable goals, right? And that doesn't mean that we can't have reach goals. We can't have lofty goals. But then it's important to help them to break that lofty goal down into process goals, smaller steps along the way, and encourage one or two things at a time, as opposed to Mm. wanting to do a gazillion things at once and not following through on any of them. So it's really those starting from a foundation of... Mm. Hmm. Where's your passion? Where are your aptitudes? How can we set goals that are in alignment with those things, which helps to maintain the focus because you're making progress. If kids can see progress, that is helpful in maintaining focus. When progress is kind of not really there, a little bit vague, that's when the tendency to kind of jump from thing to thing really starts to kick in more, more heavily. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's easy to stay motivated and focused on something when you're seeing that it's like, Hey, yeah, it's working. Um, All this work I'm doing is paying off. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, getting, it's it's working, it's moving forward. Yes, exactly. progress. Exactly. <laughs> yes, and that then builds belief in self and yeah, belief in yeah. possibility and all that. So it kind of creates and then maintains momentum is what we're thinking here. Yeah, so much of this is related to like hope, I guess, or just knowing that we can do it, that gives us just a reason to think that we should keep pushing forward. Hey, yeah, I've done this before. I'm capable and I know how to be organized and focus on something. And there's no reason I shouldn't be able to do this now. Exactly. And that you kind of point out this idea of small successes along the way and how small successes, when we are noticing those and internalizing those, they help us to keep moving forward to attaining that bigger goal. Mm. Are there any things that are, you think, mistakes that parents might make in terms of focus or things that might sort of detract from focus and attention in our kids? Well, the big thing that comes to mind, and I'm not going to necessarily call it a mistake per se, but it's something to keep an eye on, is this idea of overscheduling. Yeah. Kids who might be playing in a really high level elite travel team, whether it be hockey or soccer or football or whatever, but then they still want to do every single activity at their school. What I've observed in those types of scenarios is exhaustion and burnout and not really being able to engage fully in any one activity. So that would be sort of a place where I would caution us as parents to really be careful. Maybe if you're doing the elite travel soccer team, you don't play soccer or football at school this season. Mm -hmm. 
but who knows yeah. maybe next season it'll open up but the possibility of burnout the possibility of overstimulation exhaustion which will then take away from focus is very real but how do you know because doesn't it just seem like your kid can handle it until kind of it goes too far so how do you hold back from crossing the line yeah, it's very, very challenging, right? And also really important to note that it's different for all kids. One kid might be better able, better equipped to manage all of that than another kid. So it's really a question of being attuned to your own child and their needs. And also just on a fundamental health and wellness level to really be watching for signs of overtired, for watching for mood changes or changes in sleeping behavior or anything along those lines, temper, that sort of thing. So really a clear attunement to your own child is what's going to help you to navigate that type of a scenario because there's really no one size fits all, but just a global construct of this over-programming, over-scheduling that in many cases can lead to burnout and exhaustion. We're here today with Dr. Kate Lund talking about the seven pillars of resilience and how to develop them in teenagers. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Reality is some kids are more naturally sort of adept at kindness than others. And it's sad to me to see that, but I just think that, you know, at a fundamental level, we can start modeling these attitudes and behaviors at home. And that's a really great place to start. Let's face it, challenge is going to hit. Challenge is inevitable for all yeah. of us because there are going to be challenges. And so we really want to be modulated in our emotions when a challenge hits so that we don't yeah. escalate to the point of shutdown. Uh... So I would say managing the stress response is the number one tip. I see firsthand all the time the impact of situations where folks are not kind and it's problematic. So yeah. first thing we do, we model at home and we talk to our kids about what it looks like on the ground to be kind <clears throat> to our peers, to not tear kids down because they have a different appearance or a different opinion mm. or a different way of handling difficult situations. Unfortunately, I do think that a lot of kids might see their parents modeling the opposite of that. We do it my way and that's it. Or talking about others that they see as different or having different opinions or along those lines. I think really modeling this idea of acceptance, yeah. regardless of belief, regardless of appearance, regardless of all of those factors is really, really vital. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.